Hello there. It's time for most things Kenobi. Shouldn't it be all things Kenobi? Hmm. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Most Things Kenobi, a podcast about Obi-Wan Kenobi and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Leanne. And I'm your host, Lauren. And before we go any further, major, major spoilers for the Mortis arc in the Clone Wars series ahead. So if you have not seen this arc, seen this episode, any of them, turn back now if you don't want to know anything, because (laughs) this is a spoiler heavy episode. We're going to talk about it all. (laughs) Well, this week we are tackling... The first episode in the Mortis arc, and it's going to be one of three parts. Mm -hmm. So the next two weeks, we'll do the other two episodes in the arc because this is a massive arc and a massively important one Yeah, in all of Star Wars. Really, it kind of really put a new spin, a new perspective on things. It did. This arc is crazy. It is so crazy. I just in this one first episode... I have, like I told you, I wrote, hand wrote five pages of notes because yeah. there's just so much there. Where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> Let's give a brief synopsis. Okay. So the Mortis arc is basically Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka end up on this force world. A world that isn't really there, but it is. And it's yeah. just controlled and heavy and deeply what's the word deeply steeped in the force Mm -hmm. and all of it basically hinges on the fact that the entities that live and control this planet know or suspect that Anakin is the chosen one. And there's plenty of tests and things that go on that are mind boggling and crazy and a lot of foreshadowing and it's very artsy and it really pivots the clone wars and star Wars in a completely different direction personally speaking the mortis arc is where i i said this show is different from any other star wars show uh movie media of any kind this was the arc that did it well because it kind of moves from being just a fun space adventure where you learn new powers to being like this is where the root of the power comes from yes and it was a little bit mind-boggling like you go through this crazy adventure and by the end of the third episode you're not even sure you understand what happened no so much happens to each of them obi-wan anakin and ahsoka they go through so many personal trials or personal changes yeah i mean massive changes i mean i think obi-wan goes through the least amount of changes out of the three yeah he seems to just be like riding the wave he's just trying to hang on (laughs) but ahsoka and anakin are like their life changes after this i mean literally yeah yeah no no i was just gonna say like how how do we even dive into this because it's just that's why we're taking it piece by piece like one episode at a time because it's heavy it is deep and you were talking to me about some interesting points that i hope you bring up today on this on the episode (laughs) (laughs) So the first episode is called Overlords, and this is where Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka end up on this strange force planet and meet the yeah. father, the daughter, and the son. 
Which is weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, everything about it is strange. I mean, right from the beginning, there's this moment where they get a distress call, right? And that's mm-hmm. why they go to this location in space. And they're saying it's a Jedi distress call that hasn't mm-hmm. been used for 2,000 years. Right. So my first question is, what was happening 2,000 years ago? Well, yeah. I mean, why did it die off? Why don't, why don't the Jedi of now use it? Yeah, and so, like... I went back through the timeline and the canon timeline said nothing really except that this is when that distress signal was sent out. But in the Legends timeline on Wikipedia, got a shout out, Wikipedia. Hey, Wook, how you doing? A lot of the info I'm getting is from there. It says, quote, the new Sith Wars begin with the fourth great schism 2,000 years ago. The Jedi Master Phineas leaves the Jedi Order with 50 followers and takes the name Darth Ruin as he founds the new Sith, igniting a thousand years of conflict with the Sith. Beautiful. Perhaps <laughs> that had something to do with it. Perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. A schism would would warrant a, a distress call. <laughs> I mean, we had a distress call last week on our Kenobi trailer episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Glaxon's alerting. So yeah, they end up on this place after they get this distress call. It, it's it's funny because it it's one of those weird supernatural things where all their comms go down, right? The signal goes down, and then all of a sudden it comes back up, and they're being drawn into this thing. And didn't didn't the uh, it's like a diamond shaped floating entity? Yes. Didn't have, it kind of look I like notes on this? Oh, you do. Okay, because it gave me vibes of um. Now I can't think of it. A holocron. No, but that's a great point. I didn't think of that. I'm sitting right next to a holocron. It looks just like it. No, I was thinking it looked like Exegol. Oh, yeah. I had I had that thought, too. I was very interested because my right away, my, my brain was thinking it looks like a holocron. But it looks like a mixture of a Sith and a Jedi holocron. Which is perfect because it's they're neither positive or negative. Didn't the father say that they're neither light nor dark? Yeah, they're, well, they're balanced. They're balanced, yes. Yeah, so they have, like, the perfect balance. So the actual shape that the this force planet area location, yes. I don't know, is, it's an octahedron. Octahedron? So it's an eight-sided object, and the number eight repeats through this episode over and over. No shit. Yeah, and I'll talk about it in more detail maybe as we go along. But I once I noticed it, I just saw it everywhere. And no it, way. And there's there's a significance to the number eight, but I'll I'll get back to it later because it's okay. Like, I'm curious. Yeah, it's really cool. Well, actually, I know it's the infinity symbol that's in the uh, yin and yang arena. I saw that, and I was like, well, it looks like an exclamation point, kind of a double sided <laughs> exclamation point. But it, it's more of like an infinity sign. But it's, it could also be an eight. Yes. I'm already so like, thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it, we'll talk about eight now, and then people can like have this in their mind okay. as we go forward. So, yeah, let's like, do it. Okay, so this ties into like a larger symbolism that I was seeing throughout the episode that we can talk more about later. But there's like a lot of Christian symbolism in this episode, and not necessarily that it's telling a Christian story, but that it's pulling from like Christianity and its lore, basically. Mm-hmm. So, like. 
I have the number eight, like I said, it repeats a lot, but that number is actually like really important in the Bible. It represents in the Christian tradition, the number eight represents the beginning or creation or mm-hmm. being born again. So like as the planet, we know the planet cycle is that it dies and rebirths every single day. So I thought that yeah. was pretty interesting. That's a good point. So the number eight is also, uh, it means harmony and balance. Like if you just think about the shape of the number eight, it's mm-hmm. the circle on top, circle on bottom. And it's also the symbol of prosperity, the symbol of infinity. So it's kind of interesting that it makes perfect sense that that would be a repetitive number throughout because that's what the planet is. It's a constant cycle of infinite balance, right? Mm -hmm. And if you break that, everything falls apart. So I just thought it was interesting because like, I was like, what else does the number eight have to do with anything? It's like, Eight was the number number of people on Noah's Ark. There oh. were eight gates at the Temple of Babylon. There were eight seasons in the Wheel of the Year, which is like the pagan calendar was eight yeah. seasons, which then was appropriated by the Christian church. Right. The eightfold path in Buddhism means the middle oh, way. Yes. yes. Where you're like choosing the center path to enlightenment. So I feel like it was a very, obviously like a very deliberate choice. Oh, absolutely. There were a lot of deliberate choices in how they created this episode. As I was telling you, like, the angular manner at which they shot. Now, it's animated, of course, but still Mm -hmm. purposeful. They come in at at kind of wonky angles and severe angles to, like, zoom in on the character or the scene or something. And I thought that was very purposeful because everything's kind of topsy-turvy in this episode. They're not Mm -hmm. used to it. I mean, the, the three characters we know. They're in a very strange place. Very strange things are happening. It's repeated over and over. And they have visions and force abilities and, and everything's very strong there. But it's a just a little off kilter. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of interesting re-watching the episode and looking at it from an artistic standpoint that, you know, removing myself from the story because I, I know it so well. Mm-hmm. That it was so herky-jerky, oblong kind of coming at an angle, coming at varying paces to zoom in on a character or a scene. And I think it added to the overall feel of something just isn't right here. Yeah. And gives it kind of an ethereal feel to it in just the manner in which they constructed each scene. I love that you're tapping into that because, like, you didn't go to film school and no. that is a technique. That's like a cinematography oh. technique. And so like the fact that you feel that and, and like became aware of it proves that like cinematography is a universal language. Yeah. And they it's what you're talking about. It's called a Dutch angle where they like oh. twist the the shot. So it's like it means that the, the ground, which would be like a straight line, yeah. is tipped like at an angle, which indicates being off kilter something is off center something isn't quite like moving with the flow of our natural everyday occurrences yeah so it's like it's the perfect episode for them to use that because it's so crazy it's pretty cool because you just got done describing the harmony of the number eight and the symbolism of the balance of the number eight and how we see it throughout the episode and then it's completely contrasted by the herky-jerky, uh, what was it called? The the technique? Oh, the Dutch angle. The Dutch angle. Um, yeah. I like, I, I just, 
it's it's simple. a well done episode and we haven't even talked about the story yet <laughs> like, right well and, and like it implies that like regular quote-unquote regular people like obi-wan and ahsoka and anakin like they're uncomfortable mm-hmm. because these mortis force wielders they're like gods and so it's for a regular mortal person to be there it's like very unsettling to experience that kind of power yeah caught in the middle of it and i love that they use the cinematography i wonder if there's different cinematography for anakin ahsoka and uh, obi-wan compared to like the father the daughter and the son i i I didn't even pay attention to that that'd be i didn't either but Guess we'll have to rewatch it. Darn. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> With pleasure. Well, it's it like you said they are like gods. They're much taller, they're much more powerful. They have I mean the sister comes across as friendly at first, but they're all cautious, especially especially Ahsoka. Yeah. Very distrusting. But it's one of those things where you think of like Greek gods and goddesses, they're revered but but also you have to be careful around them and respect yeah. them because they're very dangerous. Yeah, because even the sister, like when Anakin touches her, yeah, her she's voice like, uh-uh. changes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like she she is selfless because the force, like it's the difference between selfish and selfless and their nature. And mm-hmm. like she may be selfish or uh, selfless, but she's definitely got passion and she has feeling about things because you can tell she's in later episodes she's very heartbroken yeah so it's like she still has a scary side even though she's the good one you know yes and we see it later on it's really evident when they're in the arena and the father is putting anakin to the test to see if he's the chosen one Mm -hmm. she's kind of like this what is it like a gryffindor a winged bird um what are they called? A phoenix, kind a of? phoenix with... Uh, scary. <laughs> She's light in color. Yeah. And kind of, you know, sparkly and... But she wields some strong powers. And then, of course, the yeah. sun, which is the complete opposite of her. He's evil and selfish and yeah. you know, self-serving. And he's, like, almost a bat. Yeah, it's with, like, with a, like gargoyle. a gargoyle. Yeah. Yeah. So, terrifying. Terrifying. And... She has green eyes. He has red eyes. I mean, it's all this, like, contrasting mm-hmm. color to point out one's good, one's bad, and the father is kind of the balance. And that's the point of the episode is that he's dying, and he has to keep the balance of his son and daughter, the light yeah. and the dark. And Anakin is the chosen one, and the old man believes that Anakin should replace him. And I have thoughts on that. Yes. <laughs> I'm jumping I ahead. I, I, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm like, same. <laughs> Well, let's go back to when they first meet this this the daughter. I want to say the sister. She's also a sister, but she's I know the daughter. I always I always call her the sister, and that's not right. But because I guess the sisters are the inquisitors. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but she is a sister. <laughs> she so is. We're not denying her that title, but <laughs> I love Anakin's like get a load of this one, like because <laughs> it's like. Where the hell are we? What are we doing here? How did we get here? And who the hell are you? Is basically what <laughs> yeah. the three of them do in like the first, you know, and they they bring out their lightsabers and Ahsoka's ready to fight and Obi-Wan's just yeah. like, need to calm down. Well, Obi-Wan's face, when the sister appears, he's all like, oh, hello there. Yeah, yeah he does the beard <laughs> thing like, this could get interesting in yeah. a good way. I mean, you know, also the yeah. same man who looked away when they were at Hondo's little uh tavern and there was a dancer a lady dancing on the table so don't pretend obi-wan we know 
But yeah, she shows up and leads them to what's supposed to be the father, and things go haywire real fast. Yeah, and she, like, stops leading them anywhere. Because the, the, the son throws a rock at him, basically. I mean, it's chaos. Yeah. It's chaos between the sister and her brother. I, I can't imagine living with them and only them on this planet. That old man father had to have been at wit's end. I mean, no wonder he wanted to just bow out and give it to somebody else, you know? Well, that's that's one of my thoughts is, like, he tells Anakin that this is all yours. This could all be yours. It's like, no one wants this. No, nobody wants this, especially after just meeting this mess, you know? But we'll get to that. But my favorite line, honestly, and it's because of so much symbolism, is if we just stick together, we'll be okay. Yeah, I that have Obi-Wan that highlighted. Says. Yeah, it's really sad and terrible foreshadowing. Yeah. For what ends up happening to all three of them, ultimately, to the end of their 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 lives. Yeah, and it seems like every time they get separated, something terrible happens, and, like, right up, like you said, to the yeah. worst, ultimate moment. Yeah. Um, I just, like, love the aesthetic of Mortis. The mm-hmm. floating The mountains. floating stuff, yep. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. And the way, like... The nature in the episode is really interesting to me because I noticed that even the colors of the nature match the son and the daughter. So, like, she's green and gold and white, and that's what the color Mm -hmm. of the green, like, leafy vegetation. And then it's, like, Obi-Wan even says that the seasons change with the time of day. Mm -hmm. And then everything starts to rot and decay and it turns red and almost looks like it's bleeding and then it dies and disappears. And disintegrates, basically. Yeah, and then I noticed when they were walking in the morning, they actually regenerate as almost like spirits. They're like trees that look like they're glowing spirits. Yes, yes. and I thought that was a cool effect. Yeah. I've always loved the aesthetic, yes. And then they become green again. So it's like this whole cycle that happens in like a quote 24 hour period not that they have time really on mortis but like well it's the old you can't have darkness without light you can't appreciate what you have without losing it it's the constant um the lesson in all of it you know after every winter comes a spring and and it's like beautiful even though it feels a little bit dangerous and scary at the same time sure because at night there's literally lightning that's and they got to throw a thunderstorm in there just for kicks. <laughs> and they go into the cave, and the cave is gorgeous. It's all crystals, and it kind of looks like kyber crystals, but they're all kind of bluish white. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's where Obi-Wan and Ahsoka wait until, you know, because Anakin gets separated from them, and they have their visions, which, yeah, huge, huge moments. Qui-Gon returns, and then Ahsoka sees herself as an adult. Yeah, which is crazy. All of it is so interesting because they're all, like, asked a question. But is it, are they being asked a question by some external force or are they kind of an internal question that's manifesting itself in this weirdly force strong planet? Like, it's hard to say. Obi-Wan is very calm when he sees Mm Qui-Gon. I would have lost my shit if I was Obi-Wan and I saw Qui-Gon. You know what I mean? He's very pragmatic. He's just like, how are you here? Yeah. like, (laughs) Like... and he busts out his lightsaber because, you know, you can't, you just can't trust what you're seeing because your mind is kind of like a mind fuck, you know, but. Yeah. But yeah. they all, they each like receive a warning, kind of, like Obi-Wan the least, because he's probably the least at risk. 
So, like, Qui-Gon asks if Obi-Wan has done as he was asked. Like, did you train Anakin? And and Ahsoka, I was really surprised when I heard it. Because, like, I've seen it a hundred times. But, mm-hmm. like, watching it specifically to make notes. Like, the first thing Ahsoka's older self asked her younger self is, are you happy? Yeah. Which is so odd a question. You know, with a Jedi... Do they ask themselves that, you know? No, because it's not supposed to matter, which is an interesting question. But this is before, technically, if you watch the show as it happens and you don't skip ahead and you don't know anything, this is before we know what happens to Ahsoka and she leaves the Jedi Order. Yeah. So it's kind of weird to think that because she's very unhappy by that point. Very disappointed. Yeah. And isn't the next thing that her older self asked her is, do you feel safe or... Do you feel that you're being treated fairly? Yeah. By your master? And and like, it's all like a warning about training with Anakin because he's leading her on a dangerous path. And she's like, I trust him with my life. But then Anakin is asked, what is the root of his pain? Yeah. A lot of emphasis on his guilt. Yes. His guilt for not saving his mother, for killing, you know, the sand people in revenge or to avenge his mother. Yeah. And it's really weird because at the end of Anakin's vision of his mother, who is dead, Mm -hmm. her voice changes because we know eventually that it's the brother doing it. Right. Or manipulating it in some way. But her voice turns demonic and it's really weird. And the next scene is Anakin's lightsaber point coming in to face like to basically get right up against the father's nose and i love that shot yeah you don't even see anakin you just see the lightsaber getting within a breath yeah of the father's nose and i'm like that is impactful because anakin's you don't fuck with anakin when it comes to his mother and that's exactly why they did it that's exactly why the brother went there well and it makes me wonder like okay we know that the brother caused anakin's vision what was the cause of Obi-Wan and Ahsoka's vision? I don't they never know. say. It's no. so interesting. So and the father says later that they take a form dependent on the force energy around them. Mm-hmm. But does that mean like the people that they're with or like the environment that they're in? Because like then that just means that like, of course, they would come to you as your mother or Qui-Gon or, you know, anything like that. in the something inside you. That's either like a, it's weird though that they only seem to see things that made them feel guilty or anxious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why wasn't anyone having visions about like good things? Maybe because there wasn't any good coming. They're probably not. <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to say it, but <laughs> it is Star yeah. Wars here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess I have questions why were they tapping into Anakin's guilt so much? Yeah, because I don't understand when they make Anakin perform the challenge. Mm-hmm. The father says, like, release your guilt. Choose Obi-Wan or Ahsoka. I don't understand how that releases his guilt. That's my question. You asked my very exact question. I don't understand how that would help. And honestly, if anyone's listening out there and has a theory, let us know because please, that's probably my most difficult part of this episode is I don't understand the link between his, his guilt and how, I mean, maybe if you release your guilt, 
then you become more powerful in the force. But the brother is literally trying to poke at Anakin to stir him up, right? But it's Anakin's yeah. anger that makes him fail in life, we'll say. <laughs> uh, it's not his guilt. Because if, if you feel guilty, you feel some sort of repentance, right? Like you, you're sorry for what you've done. And a lot of times Anakin's not sorry for what he's done. Yeah. He feels it's justified. Yeah, that's a really Which good is point. Why he's terrible. <laughs> he's interesting because of it, but that's what makes Darth Vader so effective is that he's not guilty about anything. Yeah. Doesn't feel an ounce of guilt. When Anakin says to his mother, his vision, mm-hmm. that he fears what will happen if he lets go. Yeah. And she's, as she's turning into a demon, is saying that Padme is a confuser. She's causing you to be confused and go down the wrong path, which is, like, kind of not wrong, but, like, it's not yes. Padme's fault that no. Anakin is the way he is. So it's, like, whatever that object of obsession would have been, Anakin would have been single-minded about that, you know? So yeah. it just happens to be Padme. But, like, I found that really interesting because they're talking about, like, that he can't let go, that he's attached, but then talking about feeling guilty. And Mm -hmm. I was really having trouble kind of, like, connecting those ideas because he doesn't say he feels guilty about being attached. (laughs) No. No, in fact, he says, Padme is my everything. Yeah. I'm married. I have a wife, you know? Exactly. It's more like that he's... Guilty, I guess, maybe about killing people. And I guess he said he feels guilty about failing to protect her, which is why he's so adamant to protect Padme. Yes. Well, you know, people hold on to their grief and their traumas and their, their guilt, and it allows that that ends up defining them. Like, without that, they don't know who they are. Like, that's such a pillar in their life. Not everyone. I'm just saying in this instance, Anakin's identity basically is attached to his failure to save his mother. Mm-hmm. If he lets go of that, then he's letting go of his mother and he doesn't want to do that. And yeah. without his mother, he doesn't know who he is, honestly. Right. He never takes the time to do any soul searching. It's probably too scary to go in there and look. Well, sure. A lot of people don't look inside because it's too scary. It takes a lot of courage. And so if you're always distracted, but you have that one thing to fall back on, like Anakin did. I mean, that's easier than confronting the demon, so to speak. It's so interesting, though, because then the father appeals to mm-hmm. Anakin's, mm-hmm. Uh, like, his need to protect, to try and get him to stay. Yeah. So the whole thing is manipulation. It is. So just because a character says something doesn't mean they believe that. You Mm-mm. know. So it makes me wonder. If the father does strike me as, like, duplicitous sometimes. And, like, he has an ulterior motive, which always makes me feel like that's not a balanced person. No, it's not. So I just, I thought that was interesting. And, like, not that it's wrong. I'm just curious what the writers or, like, what the, the like, what Dave Filoni would have to say about it all, you know? Like, yeah, what's yeah. the point behind it all? I think Anakin made the right choice. And I don't think that the father should have said, let your selfish actions rule you for the rest of your life. I am not about to leave 
the only two people who I consider family and friends to go corral these, these two, this brother and sister, because you're about to die. I don't know who you are. You haven't treated me decently since we got here. You won't give me a straight answer. My mom, my dead mom's showing up in a vision. You won't answer anything about that. I'm not going to sit here and do your work after you're like selfish or not. I, I don't think I would have changed Anakin's decision. I mean, we see later on that maybe not this selfishness, but Anakin's selfishness down the road ends up contributing to what ends up happening to the galaxy. But I mean, in this instance, you can't expect some stranger to show up and take over after all that shit. Well, and also earlier in the episode, he describes Mortis as a sanctuary and a prison and then expected Anakin to be like, yeah, I'll stay. Yeah. I don't get it. No. Like, it's so, it's so interesting. Like, what they're saying as force lore is super Mm -hmm. interesting, but I really have trouble understanding what the characters are trying to do because they just, like, it's just so manipulative and confusing and it's like, the, I, I'm amazed that Anakin could make a decision. Well, once again, Anakin is caught at the hands of someone trying to manipulate him. Yeah. And tell him this versus that. And he essentially has to make a decision. I mean, I'm not defending what ends up happening to him and how he becomes Darth Vader. I mean, obviously, I like the character because he's multi-layered and there's a lot to dig into. Yeah. But God damn it, everyone tries to manipulate this kid. It's no wonder, you know? I'm just saying it. The manipulation doesn't help either. <laughs> like, right, right? You just have an unstable, um, powerful force wielder, and you think manipulation's going to work? I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The father didn't even know what he was what he was really asking. Like, No, no. <laughs> this would have not really turned out that great. That's right. Um. Well, and, and I guess playing into this, at the very end, the very last shot, Anakin gets into the shuttle, the shuttle takes off and flies away from the monastery, and the Vader theme plays in the mm-hmm. background a little mm-hmm. bit. So it's like, honestly, it seems to me like damned if you do, damned if you don't, no matter what his decision would have been. So he might as well have gone with the decision that his intuition was telling him to follow. You know? Well, if he would have stayed, he would have ended up leaving. Or destroying everything. Or that. Because it's an un, it's a horrible... The two powers, he would have needed to be more powerful than both the son and the daughter in order to control them. And he was able to do that for a moment. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean he could have done it for eternity. Yeah. And how about Obi-Wan's face when he was watching Anakin do it? God. The realization that swept over that man's face, like, holy shit. Well, did you notice his face looked like he was all like evil looking with his face half in shadow? And it was yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. crazy. And Ahsoka, I mean, crazy. the whole thing, Obi-Wan saying, save Ahsoka. Ahsoka saying, don't do anything this old man's telling you to do. Yeah. I find it interesting that both Obi-Wan and Ahsoka don't trust these people right off the bat. Yeah. But like Obi-Wan is still super snarky when the sun first oh, appears to him. I love it. <laughs> until the sun mentions and says like is he the chosen one? Then he like And he's draws like how do you know saber. this? Yeah, and it's like fuck fuck you man. <laughs> like who do you think you are? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like Ahsoka is like ready to 
<laughs> like kick ass and takes take names later. This like, is why we right love from, her. <laughs> right from the beginning. I mean, she's a woman who who's on a mission at all times. She doesn't rest. <laughs> this is why we love her. Like she's ready to defend her dads at all costs. Like, but uh, let's talk about some symbolism. Number one, the uh, the throne where the father sits. Did it remind you of the world between worlds in Rebels? Oh yeah. It had the mm-hmm. offshoots and the circles with the with the triangle. Um, yeah. Almost Horcruxy, if you're yes. a Potter fan. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Triangle with the circle and the, the the stars and the, you know, like, thought that was a little symbolic. I definitely agree. Which, you don't catch that unless you've seen Rebels and then go back and watch it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And there's also, like we said earlier, the infinity or the eight symbol with the circle in the middle of the yin and the yang. Where the yes. arena, where they, uh, Anakin does the test in the arena. Yeah. Yeah. And in that arena, there's also eight spires. Oh. Eight spires and seven platforms. And seven is the number. Seven's also a very symbolic number. Yeah. Isn't it the, is it the archangel's number or something like that? It's like the. Well, it's very symbolic and religious stuff as yeah. much as the number eight. So. Yeah. It was, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. And. So I thought that those, I don't even know what to describe them as. Like, the thing the father was sitting under, to me, looked like a giant scale. Like, balanced scales. Which makes sense, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, lining that platform leading up to him that Anakin walks down, they look like scales, like, on a smaller level. There are eight of those as well. And then in the entryway, walking into the monastery, there are eight rocks in a circle like stonehenge kind of that Anakin runs through and up the stairs into the monastery. Yeah. So like interesting. Eight's just everywhere. They went (laughs) for it. I kind of love that though. Yeah. It's really cool. Like I said, I don't think they're trying to like say this is Christianity. I think they're, they're pulling from different religious backgrounds to kind of explain the force because the force is kind of like, like people have called the Jedi and the Sith religions, so to speak. So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The very first thing that, like, like was a slap in the face. No, not a slap in the face. But the thing that stuck <laughs> out to me was when the daughter says, we are the ones who guard the power. We are the beginning, the middle, and the end. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, revelations. There are, like, two quotes from revelations that say, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And then there's, I am the alpha and the omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. Yeah. And I was just like, Blah, Mortis. <laughs> yeah, and you could say that's Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, and Anakin. Yeah. The one who was, the one who is, and who's and the one to come, which is Ahsoka, yeah. I would say. I, I just thought it was so interesting. Like, it was very obviously, it was, like, very purposeful, I would say. That was, like, a direct, like, reference. <laughs> also, the sun has cloven feet, like the devil. <gasps> You're like right. His, his I hate human, those. His human I form. I don't cloven like that. feet. It's really like creepy. Super I re- this, creepy. It's one of those details I can't stand when they do on any character. It just weirds me out anyway. <laughs> I used to play this game back in the 90s on a computer called King's Quest 6, and I think it permanently damaged my brain. There used to be a cyclops that would walk around like an uh, in this in this like catacombs and it would go clop 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 and would scare me because you eventually had to go defeat this thing. But the sound of the cloven feet really did something to my brain. Anyway, total aside. Anyway. (laughs) 
That is... <laughs> 1996, y'all. <laughs> it's like right up there with, what is it, Oregon Trail? Oh, yeah. You remember some sounds so distinctly, right? From oh, those yeah. early games. <laughs> You'll just anyway. never forget it. So the brother has cloven feet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then like the number eight is a like a religious number. I just thought it was very interesting. Everything seemed like all these references were very deliberate and they were placed throughout the story. I would just like to say that just because the father's opinion of Anakin being the chosen one in this situation is Anakin replacing the father to balance the son and daughter... I don't think that's what the Chosen One's prophecy actually meant. I think the father misunderstood it and took it personally. And I think Anakin did fulfill, as Vader, with Luke, the balance of the Force that needed to happen. Yeah. It wasn't going to happen any other way. And it wasn't going to happen in the father's way. So I think even the strongest of Force wielders, such as the father, misunderstood a prophecy. Which is so interesting because they seem like deities. Right? You know, so it's like, they're not, obviously, they're not, what is it, omniscient? Yes. Where is omniscient is the all-knowing, yeah. right? I yes, get yes. omnipotent and omniscient confused yeah. sometimes. But, like, <laughs> they're, like, they're wise and they're powerful, but it doesn't mean they can see everything, Mm-mm. which is super crazy because they refer to, like, Mortis is referred to as the fulcrum of the Force, Ta-da! <laughs> so it's like th- Qui-Gon told Obi-Wan that all of the Force goes through this place out into the galaxy, out into the universe. So like, if that much Force is going through the planet, why are they so wrong about Anakin? It's so crazy to me. It's real deep, and uh, there's layers upon layers to all of this, and it just keeps getting deeper the further into this arc that you go. I, I mean, that there's, I, I don't even know. I, I just, <laughs> the shit that ends up happening. I mean, and this is only the first part of a three-part episode arc, you know. I know, and it's just by the end, it, you're just like, I don't know where I've been. <laughs> yeah, this is a very artistic arc. This whole thing is a piece of art. Yeah, it is. The whole, the, the three-episode arc is a work of art. <laughs> I yes. had to say that slowly. <laughs> it's, a- <laughs> it's a tongue twister for sure. Clone Wars is not just a kid's show. This is a work of fucking art. <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Think of all the stuff we've referenced, like all the symbolic references, the scientific references. Like it's they the don't religious just- references. It's crazy. They don't just throw this stuff in. It- no. It's-, it's well thought out, purposefully thought out. And it yeah. the end product is fantastic fantastic and it results in things that furthers the story that we know in star wars yes it's not frivolous no it's not and that's the thing i always tell people when i when i like freak out and i'm like you've got to watch clone wars it's so good i'm always thinking of the mortis arc like when you get to that arc your mind is gonna fucking explode (laughs) you think it's a good show and then you get to this arc and your jaw hits the floor like mine did the first time i ever saw this arc and i said i I rewound certain scenes over and over and over on my dvr machine or whatever it was like i can't believe they did this like i can't believe they went there i can't believe they made this happen i can't believe they put this in there like it's just over and over and over it's crazy i I can't wait to talk about the next couple episodes too (laughs) (laughs) 
So we kind of already asked a question in the middle of this episode, but we we gotta know what are your theories with this episode or this arc in general? Yeah. Did we bring up anything that it struck a chord with you? Or do you have differing, differing opinions and theories on this stuff? We want to know because we have literally zero, we have zero answers to any of it. So. <laughs> and I think it's, I think that's on purpose. I think they left it open for yeah. us to theorize on things. And that's the fun of it. So yeah, give us your theories. We'd love to hear. Cause this would be such a fun subject to talk about, like with the fans in like a zoom call or something. Yeah, that would, oh, oh my gosh. For a Twitch stream. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> All right. Join us back here next week for the next episode in the arc. It's the altar of Mortis and things get, if you can believe it, even crazier. <laughs> yes. And even more symbolic. Yes. It is a very fun, dark, spooky episode. So come back here next week and we will break it down for you. Last week on Most Things Kenobi, we talked about the rebellion badass queen that is Harris and Dula. And we got plenty of comments, and we'll go to Instagram and read a few of them this week. Final Pins 1804 says, This was a great episode. I wanted to add that Kara and Kanan are cool because their relationship with each other is not their main identity. They're more complex. And Final Pins, we totally agree. That's one of the things I think we even mentioned is that it doesn't define them. It just is part of them. Their relationship is much more than that and i'm glad you agree ejc112 says just rewatched rogue one about an hour ago and was thinking about this because we know that the last arc of rebels takes place around the time jedda is destroyed meaning she hera is fighting almost immediately after losing ezra and not long after kanan's death the woman is unstoppable a hundred percent ejc and our dear friend Jenny Marie Studio says, yes, Hera deserves all the love, and we could not agree more. Thank you, everyone who commented. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Most Things Kenobi podcast. Remember to follow us on Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram, and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to rate us on Spotify and Apple, if you would be so kind. And if you haven't yet, go visit us over at mostthingskenobi.com. We have a pretty awesome website for you. So until next time, my space twin, may the force be with you. Always. <laughs>